0: and welcome back to a joyous rapid reaction podcast
1: here on talking out loud i'm your host sully and dayton just beat fucking kansas drew can you believe it i was in the building i watched it all happen live and no i can't
0: (laughs) i uh i'm uh i'd have to take a step back today drew um there's a lot to discuss and thanks for joining us wherever you are uh if you're in florida if you're uh, plan on going to the game Sunday if you're around Dayton. You're driving home from a Thanksgiving holiday. We do appreciate you joining us for a half-hour rapid reaction podcast here on Talking Out Loud. Again, I'm your host, Sully, here with Drew, our on-site field correspondent who witnessed the carnage live yesterday down in Orlando. Lots to discuss. Dayton's a winner against Kansas. <laughs> Just like everybody thought coming
1: into this trip, baby.
0: <laughs> I have to say it again. Dayton is a winner against Kansas, 74-73 in the semifinals of the ESPN Events Invitational. They'll take on Belmont, 4 p.m. Eastern, start on Sunday. Uh, We're recording this Saturday morning so that we can let let the dust settle, uh, get get our wits about us a little bit, Drew. And there is a lot of stuff to discuss, but first and foremost, where we, of course, start the show is the buzzer beater from Mustafa Amzil. That uh, took the Flyers over the top and got them the 74 73 win. Um, You know, Drew, before we get into like all of the things that happened in this game here today, um, one of the funniest things I think looking back on that whole sequence is, you know, we come on here and we're like, well, you know, with the game on the line, I don't necessarily think Anthony Grant's the guy you want drawing up the play. And of course, there was a lot of people yesterday, as they love to do, saying, look, look what Grant did. They got the shot off and won the game. And, uh, you know, went back and watched the ending again. And then I listened to the interview that David Jablonski did with Malachi Smith. And, of course, Malachi comes out and he said, well, uh, we drew up a play for me. And if you read between the tea leaves, I don't think there was really a play that was necessarily drawn up. But I will give AG credit for this. I was sitting there and I said, well, with what we've seen today, just give Malachi Smith the ball and let him make a play. And that's exactly what they did, for better or for worse. So that was their, like, Swiss Army knife play. Like, that was what they were going to accomplish, was just give him the ball. Now, obviously, the ending of that play is he drives to the lane. It gets blocked by McCormick, who is uh, he's a force down low. That guy that guy can get to the rim and, and alter some shots. But they, uh, they, they block the shot. They push it out. And then, of course, just... I mean, madness ensues. Amzil takes the ball. It just puts a teardrop over uh, an outstretched arm in front of him. Goes in and Dayton's a winner. If you haven't listened to the radio broadcast with Larry uh, and Keith, I highly recommend it. Larry kind of sounded like a 12-year-old girl yelling. Um, Keith was trying to describe the action as players were coming up to him and uh, and dapping him up and giving him high fives. It was just... uh, it was one of those moments. Um, I wish it didn't have to come after three home by game losses, of course. But, uh, Drew, there's, again, a lot to discuss today. What you see on that last play? What was the feeling like in the arena? Um, I'm sure that that was one you'll remember for a while.
1: Yep. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. And the play definitely was give the ball to Malley and get the fuck out the way. That that was the play. Which is fine. Which is fine. But what I will say is where Grant had all the other players positioned on the play was was good. You had Weaver in the opposite corner, who actually comes wide open when you watch it back. You he had did. Brea really kind of floating. Open look
0: from three, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. You had Brea kind of floating around like between the wings on the three point line. You had Kamara in the short corner, and then you had Amsel in the opposite corner. So I kind of liked where we were. We had it spread out enough where Mally had options, but I mean, everyone knew Mali was taking that ball to the rim and putting it up. There's no way he was he was not going to. And then on the shot, it's it's an incredible, like it's incredible poison awareness from Amsel. I mean, it's very easy to just get that ball and like just throw it up. You know, he corrals it, he takes a couple dribbles, gets to the middle of the lane, puts up, you know, whatever that kind of like running floater was, but it was honestly, it's a, it was a lot of poison. it was the best shot that Amsel probably could have gotten in that situation. And it was crazy. Yeah, yeah it was. And the crazy thing about it was, is I was watching him in warmups and he was kind of like practicing that kind of shot. Just the <laughs> floater? Is, yeah, just kind of like those weird one footer floater shots. I was kind of like, when are you ever going to have to use that? Apparently with two <laughs> seconds, apparently with two seconds left in the game to beat the number four team in the country.
0: Yeah, I guess that's uh, that's why we love the game, right? The the level of the unknown and that when the game is on the line and all hell breaks loose, sometimes you get the ball to bounce your way. And uh, on Saturday afternoon, Friday afternoon, I keep doing that. You know, we're in that Thanksgiving holiday where the days don't make any sense. Um, but yeah, Friday afternoon, it, it was our time. And, um, you know, weirdest thing about it, obviously, the first shot of the game from Amsel from the field, uh, he was two for four from the line, but that was his first shot from the field the entire game. And, you know, <clears throat> again, now that the dust has settled and we're actually doing this podcast, I mean, it's fair to go back and, and we, we're going to talk about this at length, I think, as the season moves along. But, my God, Drew, Amsel has been a shell of himself. I mean, he's he's not as effective defensively. He's not playing one-on-one on the offensive end and taking guys to the hoop. I mean, I haven't even really seen him pull up and be effective from the mid-range. He's, he's kind of turned into this, like, spot-up shooter. Um, and I just cannot believe the regression I've seen in the games from Amzil to this point. And it feels like a weird thing to be saying on a day when, you know, he drops in the game-winning shot and he's the hero. But uh, to that point, I think all of us were kind of scratching our heads going, where has he been? What's he been doing? And and why hasn't he been utilized more in this lineup? Um, I think those are all questions that we don't really have answers to today, right?
1: Well, I think the one answer that I, I might be able to give is that there's tape on him now. You know, when he came over Absolutely, last season, yeah. he came. You know, he came out of nowhere. No one really knew. You know, from Finland of all th- like of all places too. So no one really knew what his game was or what his weaknesses are, what his strengths are, things like that. I think teams are like, he's on the scouting report now. So now he's got to adjust his game from what players and teams are trying to take away from him. And he, he played well. Yes. Like he played well yesterday. He didn't score obviously until the end, but I thought he played a good floor game yesterday. He defended what, like he banged with those guys from Kansas yesterday. I thought, he played a pretty good floor game and then obviously hitting the game winning shot that many, many people will remember. I think that's part of it. And I, I just think that this team, we're starting to figure out what the rotation is and who the guys are. And the best thing that ever happened to this Dayton team was just giving Malachi Smith the keys and letting okay. Daron Holmes write <laughs> shotgun. Yes. And I think everything from there, everything's going to work out from there. And I think Amzel is will slowly but surely get it get it rolling a little bit. He's just he's got to become a little bit more of a consistent knockdown shooter. When he sees the first one go in, that's when you know it's like all right, Moose might be on tonight. But if he like misses his first couple, it, you get it gets a little shaky, a little sticky. Yeah, um, yeah, it,
0: it does. It, and like you said, the the lineup is starting to shake out here. But well, you know, let let's say you back up and and set the scene here today um, because I did see a lot of this on the the interwebs. First and foremost, Dayton Twitter is back. Uh, it's fully back, Drew. It was as, so alive as, I, as, as live as I've ever seen it yesterday. And if you're a person today, this morning, that has blown past enjoying the win and you want to take your victory lap and do the I told you so thing, I'm going to have to tell you to stop. Because you're a fucking moron. If you legitimately want to take a victory lap today, this morning, and tell people how right you were about the Dayton Flyers, and you knew all along that they were going to beat Kansas, you're a moron. I need to lay that out. You're an absolute moron. Because there was nothing indicating that Dayton was going to do this given the first four games that we saw leading up to Orlando. So... If your expectation was, yes, Dayton is capable of beating Miami and Kansas, that's fine. It just wasn't based in any reality that we had seen to that point. And so, I, uh, days like this, I often have to reflect on like, how we do the show and how we do the rapid reactions. Because, frankly, you know, I, I can't decide, Drew, if now, after beating Kansas, I'm more upset about the three losses at home or less upset, because if you do believe that this is the team Dayton is, they're capable of beating Kansas, they're capable of winning this tournament outright, which we'll find out about tomorrow, Sunday, if you believed all that, you can't also believe that they should have lost those three games at home. Those are very conflicting thoughts. So I find myself... Um, I just find myself in a state of confusion a little bit here, Drew, because there were a lot of people that did the I told you so's yesterday. And I just can't quite wrap my head around how you can be that contradictory in your thought process. Because we sat here and we talked about the first four games at length. Um, You know, we kind of said, hey, I don't know where this season's going to go, but it's not really going to materialize into anything. This win does not wipe away the stink of the three losses at home. And I want to be very clear about that with people. The fact that they beat Kansas does not wash away three home by losses. And we're not all of a sudden sitting pretty for an at-large bid. It actually was necessary that they beat Kansas to wipe away the stench of those three losses. So I, um, I find myself very conflicted today, Drew, because you no longer can sit here and make an argument to me that this Dayton team should have been 1-3. and There is no argument that exists. I think out of the gate, we knew they had enough talent to put it all together and play a game like this against a good team or at least play tough enough to be in it to the last possession versus a good team like Kansas. I think we all kind of felt that way going into the season with the talent. And then a lot of people reset because teams that have talent, even teams that are young and not well-coached or well-coached, they don't lose games like that at home. You know, Those just not games that Dayton loses. Those are not games that you lose in a pantheon of college basketball, right? So uh, I can't decide today if I'm more upset about the one and three start or less upset. This team is definitely figuring out who they are. There's no doubt about it. But but it should not have taken them four games against extremely subpar competition. To figure out that this is who they needed to be.
1: So I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question with another question. Do you think oh, you. Go ahead. do you think Dayton has the, you know, kind of the pissed off mentality that they've brought here to Orlando if they don't lose? I mean, obviously I agree with what you just said. Like, you can't lose those games. Like, that's besides the point. You know I agree with you there. Sure. But sure. there was something to be said. Somebody said this to me yesterday in the arena is that. You know, maybe like losing those games put the biggest boulder on the shoulders of all these kids to come out here and prove that they're better than those games they lost at the arena. And it was kind sure. of an interesting. It mean, was kind it of an yeah. interesting point. And it was like, like, do you think we beat Kansas if we come in here? You know, four and zero or or three and one, like with a loss to Lipscomb, who I think is better than is. I put it this way: I think Lipscomb is decidedly better. I know they lost to Tennessee Tech or whatever. They're decidedly better than both Austin P and UMass Lowell by a lot. Yeah, I agree. That is the one loss. Like, if we came in lost to them, okay, but we beat UMass Lowell and and Austin P, and then we beat Miami. Like, do like do we feel way good about ourselves where we don't come out with that chip on our shoulder against Kansas, where nobody in the world thinks we can compete with them? I don't know. That's obviously a very, very out of the box question that doesn't really have an answer to it. But it was just an interesting point that was brought up to me. And, and you're right. Like, it just sucks to, to know where we could be if we had just taken care of business. Because even if you lose just one of those games, this win against Kansas wipes it off the board. And yeah, you're right. It might wipe away two. It right, doesn't exactly. wipe away three. It doesn't wipe away three. <clears throat> but, you know, where we are, where we stand now is we have a great opportunity to take care of business on Sunday. You win on Sunday, you get back to to what, four and three. You get back above 500 with a dog shit Alabama State team coming into the arena where you have your lineup. And a really bad Northern Illinois team too. And you have your lineup set ready to go. And Malachi Smith is playing like one of the best freshmen in the country. And Deron Holmes is starting to figure it out. And folks, Deron Holmes is starting to figure this shit out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, you watch
1: him play. I watched him play. I kept a keen eye on him yesterday. He had 16 points. A lot of them were dunks, which is fine. But he had to bang with McCormick, who probably had 30 to 35 pounds on him all game. And he just did not flinch, didn't blink, played like, you know, he belonged on the floor. And that is between Malley and Deron Holmes. Like, those are two guys that we should be very, very, very excited about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the uh, future is very clear um, as far as those two guys are concerned. I said during the Miami game that regardless of where this season goes, and it's never been uh, more in question where this season is going to go on this day, but those two guys are going to have a significant impact on the program moving forward. Of course, talking about Malachi Smith and Deron Holmes. Um, I don't know how many guys are going to hit the portal this year. I don't know. Um, again, how the season is going to shake out. What I do know is that those two guys are going to have a significant impact on Dayton basketball for the next three and a half years. Um, and, and that's encouraging, right? Because I think when we start one and three, I, I know me myself, I started looking for what what can we get excited about? You know, what can we look for here heading into a 10 play that's worth looking down the road, Right. And that was the first place I started. So as we sit here, Dayton being 3-3, three and three, <clears throat> taking losses, um, again, first time since the mid-90s that they've taken three losses to teams at home in the non-conference since the, the dark days of Jim O'Brien and Oliver Purnell when he first took over, mid-90s. And then you have Dayton being their first top five opponent since the mid-80s. It's like both of those things happening back-to-back Could not be more unbelievable. I'm still trying to sit here and figure out how this happened. It's one of the most ridiculous, outrageous outcomes that I've ever seen following this program. And so we're sitting here today, Dayton's 3-3. and Are they as bad as the three losses at home? Okay, no. We we decidedly know that they're not as bad. They are definitively not as bad as those three losses. Are they as good as the teams that are going to beat Kansas going down the road, or are they as good as a lot of the other teams that Kansas will lose to this year? Probably not. As with all things in life, the truth is probably going to lay somewhere here in the middle for the Dayton Flyers. I can't help but be frustrated a little bit today that this team needed those four games to figure it out and they needed to take three losses to do it. Does that, you know, signify or does that signal that they're a young team that needed to figure things out? Of course it does. Of course. Um, But we're not talking about losing to a Big East opponent at home. We're not talking about losing to a Big 12 opponent or a Pac-12 opponent or an ACC opponent. I mean, we're talking about 200 plus 10 Palm teams. So again, if you want to make the argument that Dayton was figuring it out, you certainly have all the ammo uh, to drive that point home at at this juncture. But if we all were to agree, that they had all this talent coming into the game. I mean, th- it, it should not have taken them four games to figure it out. They shouldn't have dropped the three games at home. I think that much is clear, but who they are moving forward again is probably somewhere right in the middle because I uh, drew it. And this was the thing I wanted to discuss the most on the rapid reaction today is that looking back on the game. And last night I remember sitting at home and, and thinking, how did that just happen? And one of the reasons I thought about that was Dayton didn't really play that well. Did you walk away from that game
1: feeling like Dayton played like a good game? We were we were up, I believe we were up five with about seven minutes to go. And I, and I leaned over, I was sitting next to my dad at the game. And I leaned over to my dad and I said, am I crazy? Or are we not really playing all that well? And he, he, yeah, looked, we at me, we he looked at me and then he kind of looked, like, looked up and thought, and then look back and he goes, you know what? You're kind of right. We really aren't playing yeah. that well. And when you look back at it, we were under 30% from three. We turned the ball over over 20 times. 20 we times exactly. Yeah, 20 times exactly. We don't shoot a free throw in the second half. And we did out-rebound them. But, like, we didn't. We did not play all that great. But we played well in pockets. And I'll say another thing. Kansas definitely left their foot off the gas. They 100 percent. The the brown, brawn kid, however you pronounce his last name, when he he dunked it over Kamara and got that technical to put them up 15. And that was the worst thing that could have happened for Kansas, because from that point, from that point forward, Dayton outscored Kansas 44 to 30 the rest of the game. And yeah, I I like to think that, you know, he kind of he kind of pissed us off. He kind of woke (sighs) us up a little bit. You know, and I think that locker room, I think they kind of galvanized themselves in the locker room and they came out and it was 14-4 right out of the gates of, of halftime. And we got that game tied. And when you get the game close like that, you, and all you have to do is hang around, hang around, hang around. That's when you get moments like, like what happened at the end of the game.
0: Yeah, it feels like those moments never happen date, Dayton. It always happens to us, right? Like, ah. We let uh, George Mason hang around and then they, they clipped us or, you know, I just used the first team that popped into my head. Uh, Shouts out to the George Mason Patriots and Kim English uh, postpone the uh, A-10 championship parade down there. But um, I, yeah, it's, it's like I'm sitting here today thinking about, you know, why did we win the game? And you have to put, some weight on the game that Kansas played as much as UD because yeah, you, you nailed it. Um, Kansas was 30 from 60 from the field. They were shooting 50% overall from the field, right? Um, they had a really poor shooting day from three point land. They were four for 19 from downtown. They left 11 points on the free throw line, nine for Red 20 from
1: the free throw line in the second half.
0: Terrible. Um, and then like you said, Dayton turned the ball over 20 times. So, I think it was like a perfect storm of of bad basketball being played because the first half against Miami on Thursday was sloppy, bad basketball. I mean, it was turnovers. It was rec league, run up and down the floor, then turn the ball over, and run up and down the floor. I mean, that's that's kind of how it felt. And thankfully, Dayton had a hot shooting day on Thursday that kind of wiped away a lot of those. Um, inconsistencies, which was fine. I mean, they're eleven for nineteen from three. That's gonna
1: and they dominated on Thursday. Up. Don't get it twisted. They were they yeah. were the better team on Thursday. Miami's not very good. They were the good, better team, but Dayton played the better game on Thursday, and the results showed. I mean, we won by sixteen. It wasn't like we yeah. like eked it out despite outplaying them by a bunch. That game was over with six minutes to go.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, and to level set for Flyers fans that might not know, I mean, Miami's going to be at the bottom of the ACC this year. It's not like we just clipped a tournament team in, in the Miami no. Hurricanes. Um, they're not going to the tournament. They're they're pretty bad. They're bad. Um, and you said before the game because I was nervous going in, I'm like oh, we're one in three, we could lose to anybody. And you're like, well, Miami's bad, man. And I took a, a second and I go, well, we just lost to Austin P. So
1: I mean, it didn't matter. Like, yeah, did not matter. So and my, did my thing matter. was, is like, it wasn't necessarily that we were going to win and like win handily like we did, but it was the amount of text messages and messages and people were like, Miami minus five is like free money, right? And I was just trying to tell anyone who would listen to me. No, absolutely not. No, they, they are they bad. Bones. They are. They are a bad basketball team. And <laughs> they I bones. just tried to tell anyone who would listen and no one would listen to me. No I one didn't listen. I was like,
0: I was like, how bad could they be? And then I think yeah. I texted you. I, I, te- I texted you around halftime, and I was like, all right, like Drew time to tell me, like this team stinks, dude. Um, but again, we stunk. You know, it's like, okay, yes, but Miami stinks, but no one walking into that game could have made an argument to the contrary of Dayton stinking. Like they stunk. They were one and three. It, it was what it was. But, um, yeah, like I said, they they dominated – or like you said, rather, they dominated on Thursday. Uh, hot shooting day helped a lot. And so when you went into the Kansas game today, I think the, the general feeling around the fan base was, uh, you know, just keep it close, you know, may- let's see what happens. And, and that's exactly what transpired, right? Like Dayton just did enough. They didn't um, – you know, they, they never really were comfortable. I don't think they really played like a sound game. Um, and they hung around like despite themselves, right? 12 possessions going down the line towards the end of the game. The last 12 possessions of the game, Dayton turned the ball over six times. Uh, I had a couple of former players text me last night and they said, I can't ever remember us winning a game when we turned the ball over on 50% of our possessions in the second half. You know, going down towards, I think it was like the last seven minutes, which would have been 12 possessions, something around there. Um, but I I honestly was in disbelief of that, how sloppy the Flyers were again. And it wasn't even like they had that great of a shooting day. I mean, from three point land, you said it, they were five for 17. Um, the numbers improved inside the arc, which is something that I really wanted to see, you know, as far as. If Dayton is going to win games moving forward, I think we know the formula now. They have to get the ball into the paint. They have to establish a presence down there so that they can get easy buckets, and then the open shots will present themselves afterwards. But they were twenty four from 30, 24 for thirty eight um, down low. And uh, you know, to give people some perspective, I mean, in one of the games that we lost, I, you know, I can pick um, uh, Lipscomb specifically. Is it? I mean, the Flyers were like under 50%, you know, in some of those losses at the arena. So my big thing going into this game was I needed to see how Dayton could effectively get the ball into the paint and get those easy buckets. Cause it would open up spacing on the floor. And that's exactly what happened, but you have to keep scratching your head at like, how did this happen? You, you turned the ball over 20 times and it really felt like Dayton was like trying to give the game away and I turned to the people that I was with yesterday, and they're like, man, these guys are playing bad with the lead here. And I said, yeah, this is kind of the youth showing through. And if I may, Drew, yesterday was the youth showing through in a very predictable manner. The three losses at home is not something that I would call predictable from a young team. You know, usually yeah. we've seen Dayton teams that would take those games down of the wire. They figure out a way to win. You live another day. Those things are very unpredictable. What was predictable to me was that a young team like Dayton, again, guys with one and two years experience, had Kansas against the ropes, and then they kind of – not that they let their foot off the gas, but they got sloppy, they weren't paying attention to the details, and they kind of got away from the game plan that they wanted to run. If you want to say teams are young – That is typically something that you point to, is that they don't have the killer instinct. They can't finish games out when they have teams against the ropes. And the fact that they figured out a way to win, I think was the most valuable asset that they can take away from this game because, just like we said, right, they didn't play their best game, far from it, and they still figured out how to beat one of the better teams in the country.
1: Yep, it's belief. It instills belief in what we're trying to do. And the thing with young teams is they could they're so maddening to follow because you could like you'll lose games like we have this season but then you play a team like Kansas and these kids don't know any better like it's like yeah okay it says Kansas on their jersey but we're still going to go out and you know play with them and i think the player who i, I specifically want to shout out on this is elijah weaver he was 4 for 7 yesterday 3 of 6 from 3 Three or four from the line, four rebounds, two assists, 14 points. A player like Weaver, and I think one of, the, one of the best traits, and it's also one of his most maddening traits that he has, is that he's just so irrationally confident. And when you play these teams that are you know objectively better than you are, those guys who are irrationally confident are almost worth their weight in gold if they get it going. And he kind of yeah. did. He, he buried a couple of big, big threes yesterday, like right at the beginning of the second half. And like, I think Elijah Weaver had his like his fist clenched for 15 minutes, like 15 of the 20 minutes of the second half. He just he looked like he wanted to punch a brick wall and he just he wanted to win so bad. You could see it. And it was seeping through everyone else on the team. Mally, Theron, Kamara, like it it was it was just seeping through everyone else on the team. And some like Weaver's going to drive you mad this year. It's going to happen. Like it's already happened. He's going to drive you mad. But then there's going to come these games where he's just so irrationally confident and he gets it going that he's like, he just brings so much to the table. And I thought, I thought he played a very, very, I thought it was the best game Elijah Weavers played in a Dayton uniform yesterday. It really did. It's
0: probably close to it. Um, you, you nailed it. It's, it's that irrational confidence that um, is going to be tough to watch. And I said, you know, I said when we were watching the first couple of games, He's going to win some games for Dayton. He's probably going to lose some games for Dayton. Um, The way that he shoots, the way that he goes to the bucket, the way that he, we called it, you know, hero ball, the way that he plays the game, you know, there's going to be some games that are going to live and die by Elijah Weaver. We've kind of accepted that fate. But you hit on it, it was the belief thing, and I think that's where we started the show, and I do want to come all the way back around to it. Um, I get all the time that people are like, well, you can't tell me how to feel as a fan. I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. I cannot tell you how to feel as a fan, especially when we're one in three. I'm typically just going to be realistic and say, hey, I don't think this team's any good. I don't think they're going anywhere. That's rude in realism to me, okay? You said the word believe. Okay, well, there's a lot of people that believed the Flyers were better than that. And God love them. There was just nothing in the real world that was pointing to the fact that Dayton was a better team. It was mere, just. It was basically just the belief of the fans, right? They said, well, just believe. I'm like, well, I don't have anything to believe right now. So how I feel is that I haven't seen anything to tell me to believe in them. So I think what this team had to do and what they did do on Friday against Kansas is that they made more people believe that they're capable of winning games and beating good teams. And I think that's why I kind of find myself today um, thinking about the people that did believe that this team could do this, even though it wasn't rooted in reality. And then the people like ourselves that kind of had written them off and not, I guess, written them off is tough because we're still going to be here, watch the games, do the podcast, you know, follow the team. But we had kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that this season really wasn't going to go anywhere. And I don't necessarily believe that this is a galvanizing win where the Flyers are going to rattle off 20 and get to the tournament. I don't think it's that. Um, I think it was you know, a one-off performance that went our way as the ball sometimes does bounce in college basketball. But the team gave more people a reason to believe that this season is worth sticking around for. And that is as valuable in Dayton as anything else right now because it we were kind of staring down the barrel of a really long season to follow. and whether it was the rotation, or guys playing with one another or realizing the kind of effort and focus it takes to play at this level, whatever it was. I don't know. They, they put enough of those pieces together against one of the best teams in the country so that we can sit here today and say, hey, maybe this season will be entertaining even if it doesn't go to the tournament. And while I don't want to sit here and make excuses because that's not the expectation that we have for the program, like we should be playing for NCAA tournament bids, I don't think that's realistic yet. But if, if we're all going to agree we're not going to play for a tournament bid with the, the level of talent on this team, we can at least have some things to look forward to and some things to be excited about. And uh, they definitely gave that to us, Drew, didn't they?
1: They did. And you know what? I'm going to tell you guys something that might be shocking to all of you. The Atlantic 10 is dog shit this year. Yeah, it's, it's, bad. Bad. it's bad. It's bad. So there is zero reason that despite the fact that we lost to those three teams before this tournament, there is zero reason why Dayton can't be a top three a top three team in the Atlantic 10. Well if not. they keep improving. If they keep yeah, improving. Sure. It, it
0: all comes with the yesterday that, like, showed you. Yesterday gave better.
1: you the blueprint and the belief. We talked about belief. That gives you the belief that Dayton, if they keep improving and keep getting better, which, you know, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, hopefully that keeps happening. But if they get this ship they get this ship righted and we play a little bit more uh you know a little bit more consistently throughout the rest of the non-conference schedule and we go into the Atlantic 10 who knows what can happen you know
0: let me ask you this Drew before we wrap up the rapid reaction and we do appreciate you sticking around with us here on talking out loud to uh, dissect Dayton versus Kansas is that the blueprint for how Dayton's going to win games i think that's what we're we're talking about today is like i don't think we learned what the formula is for Dayton to win basketball games consistently against Kansas? We might have against Miami. That's what I was gonna say. Turn, I think Miami turn the ball was over the blueprint 20 times. Yeah, like, uh, you, and I think you see where I'm going. On this yeah. turn the ball over twenty times, uh, six turnovers in the last twelve possessions, shooting poorly from three. Um, letting Kansas's two best players go for 38 together that is not really the blueprint that's going to win our games consistently so like what what do we take away from this that i guess that's what you can do for final thoughts tonight. like what do we take away from this game now that we have kind of laid out it hasn't washed away the stink of the losses we do have a lot more opportunity in the non-con Everything would have to fall their way for them to get back into that consideration. I'll put that down the road for another podcast, but like, what do we take away from this game here against Kansas and what we just saw in the first two days of this tournament?
1: I think your takeaway is that the Miami game gave you the blueprint on how Dayton can win a lot of basketball games this season. Kansas showed you that despite the fact that we turned the ball over 20 times, despite the fact that we didn't shoot it all that well from three and we only got to the line 13 times and only made seven that even on their best night or not on their best night, Dayton can still pull out a victory against a team that is superior than them. And when that happens, it just, it's hard to explain, but when you're on the team, what that can do for your confidence moving forward and with the blueprint on top of it, I think that is a, a combination of factors that could ultimately lead to a lot of steady improvement. And if Dayton, and now the, the, the challenge here is I'm glad that Dayton had Saturday off because the challenge now is to go out on Sunday and play a Belmont team that, for all intents and purposes, I think is a, a fairly evenly matched up team as, to us. It's to go out on Sunday, take care of business, and win. How can you react after a game like that? That's the next That's the next step. That's the next hurdle. That's the next thing I want to see from this team. Because if they do that, then we'll have three distinct improvability moments from this tournament. The blueprint to win, the grit to never give up and to, to hang around and stay in a game, and then the ability to close. Those are the three things that if we take that away from this tournament, there's no saying what could happen the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, and... and... Today's cool because we do get to have a little bit of optimism. We get to look forward to the game on Sunday where I, I don't think a ton of people were looking forward to watching basketball for for Dayton this holiday weekend. And now all of a sudden, uh, you know, we got a game to look forward to. Dayton and Belmont, two programs that have never met before. Uh, in case you're not aware, Belmont's been around Division I since 2000. You might remember them from a couple of years ago. They had a few good teams that were – uh, running through, I believe they're in the OVC back in those days, and now they've moved to the Atlantic Sun Conference. Uh, Dayton's already taken one loss in the Atlantic Sun to Lipscomb, so they're going to try to avoid going zero and two versus the Atlantic Sun again. Game time tip off is at four p.m. Eastern uh, in Orlando to finish off the ESPN Events Invitational, and then the Flyers will come back home uh, to play a bad, terrible, uh, very bad Alabama State team at home, and then another very bad team in Northern Illinois at home the following Saturday. So, Drew, I think you said it well. Uh, We get to kind of enjoy a house money game on Sunday, a very winnable game, a game that I think a lot of people will expect to win uh, because the pendulum has flipped the other way on us a little bit here over the last uh, 48 hours. I think um, I'm back to being at least a little bit exhilarated because only Dayton fans could go from we suck, we lost to Austin P." to we're going back to the dance in like a 48 hour stretch. I'm certainly um, not willing to do that right now. Like I said, the truth of the flyers is like everything in life is probably somewhere in the middle at this point where it is in the middle. um, I think that's what we need to find out. I think that's, what's intriguing. And I think, um, The Kansas game today and listening to Larry's reaction on WHIO, it it brought me back to a conversation we had on this show in uh, September, me and Larry, when he said, we watch sports because it is the unknown. We get to watch the unknown happen right in front of our faces. And that is exactly what we got to do on Friday. Uh, The unknown was Dayton playing Kansas. We thought we knew what the outcome was going to be. Um, I think a couple of people who predict that Dayton's going to win every game probably thought they were going to beat Kansas, um, and they'll continue to think Dayton is going to win every game because that's the kind of fans they are. God bless you all. But uh, yeah, it's it's a day right now where it feels good to be on the podcast. It feels good to be talking to you, Dayton Flyers fans, and it feels good to be talking about wins. I can tell you, my Twitter mentions were much more pleasant last night, Drew. They're Much more pleasant. Mine as well. So I thank you. Yeah, I thank you all. Um, what are you doing? All right. As we wrap up, you're down in Orlando. You get to go see one more game. Uh, you hitting the links today. What's the situation? I'll say I got a tee
1: time in about an hour and 10 minutes.
0: All right. Well, we got to get you to it. Um, you know, for Sully, I'm Drew. We truly enjoy. I think I can speak for you and say we truly enjoy bringing you this rapid reaction podcast, right? Indeed. Yeah, we did. All right. Well, until next time, we'll be back on Monday. We'll be talking to Brooks Hall this week about the entire weekend We'll get into it. Um, This is just a rapid reaction. It's, you know, how we do it. We get on, we talk about the games, and then we move right along. And we will move on to Dayton playing Belmont on Sunday for all the marbles, if you want to go down that route. All the marbles, the ESPN Invitational. Two rules until the next time. You wear red, be loud, and we'll catch you then.